Tov, good morning everyone. Welcome to our Aliyah day. I pray that you're having a uh, good day thus far. I've had some uh, rough weather, it sounds like, in the uh, Oklahoma area, especially in Tulsa. So I pray that all of our Lepidniks that live in, in and around Tulsa and other parts of Oklahoma are uh, safe and uh, Hashem should be providing you with uh, calm weather today and uh, nothing, uh, nothing dangerous. No property damage, <clears throat> no damage to people in, uh, in the merit of Messiah Yeshua. And may that be true for all of us. May, uh, may this continue to be a time of good news. So uh, from wherever you're watching across the flute, fruited plain, uh, whether you're at home, at work, in the car, listening, what have you. If you're in the car, don't be watching, be listening. <laughs> and so anyway, I hope that you are uh, having a great day so far. We are in uh, Parasha Behar, and this is uh, in the book of Leviticus. We've been talking about the Shemitah year. We're going to be con continue to discuss that this morning. And uh, looking at also at the year of Jubilee, have some very, very intriguing insights from Pituk Rehotam on this particular uh, uh, topic, very kind of looking at it from a deeply spiritual point of view. I think many of you will like it. And we're going to be in the book of, of course, Vayikra, the book of uh, Leviticus, and or as we say in French, Leviticus. And so uh, chapter 25... Uh, the third Aliyah begins in verse 19. It is also short. We have this uh, during these uh, Parashah Behar, all the Aliyot are kind of short. So let's just read the Aliyah and then we'll get right to the insights. It says, The land will give its fruit and you will eat your fill. You will dwell securely upon it. If you will say, what will we eat in the seventh year? Again, this harkens back to the words of the Messiah that says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. The whole uh, idea is to trust Hashem. So God is saying, if this is in your heart, if this is what you're saying, and first of all, you should know that you lack Amuna, right? Uh, God is our source. We have uh, never seen his uh, children forsaken, his seed begging bread. And um, many people have been poor. Many people have not had very much. Many people, including, including uh, yours truly, have been in situations where you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. But, um, you know, for those who are in covenant with God, there's always been a provision of some kind. There's always been food of some kind. There's been some way that God has made a way. And so if we say, what will we eat in the seventh year? Behold, God says, we will, we will not sow and not gather in our crops. I'm sorry, not, God didn't say that. We say that. If God says in verse 21, I will ordain my blessing for you in the sixth year, and it will yield a crop sufficient for a three-year period. You will sow in the eighth year, but you will eat from the old crop until the ninth year, until the arrival of its crop. You will eat the old. So when we are faithful to, to essentially, uh, you know, be faithful not to, not to work the land in the Shemitah year, uh, God is going to make provision for us. 
this, uh, of course, you know, we, we've been talking uh, lately uh, quite a lot about tithing, and I want to encourage you. Tithing is about you, by the way. Giving, giving is about you. It's about God, yes, but it's, it's ultimately about you. God wants us to be blessed, and he's giving us the formula for this. And he's saying, listen, when you give to me, um, wh- wh- by the way, wh- why do we say it's about you and not about God? Because God doesn't need your money. You know, God, God uh, made money, right? I mean, God, he, he created gold. He created silver. He created the diamonds, right? He doesn't need us. So this is about us, meaning that he's giving us a formula for blessing. This is why the sages say when you tithe, you're guaranteed at the very minimum a four-time return. That's minimum. That's, that's the money market account. That's, that's, the little, that's the very least that you're going to have. And Hashem is saying here when you tithe the land, so to speak, every, every uh, seventh year, you're going to have at least a three-year harvest. You'll be eating on the harvest from, uh, from this blessing when you're you know, already sowing your field. It's amazing. So it says in verse 23, The land shall not be sold in perpetu- perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are sojourners and residents with me. In the entire land of your ancestral heritage, you shall provide redemption for the land. All right. <clears throat> That's the end of the... The third reading, verse 25, gets into the uh, fourth reading. But let's go back, shall we, to what I left off with yesterday, talking, uh, reading from uh, Sefer Hinuk, the book of mitzvot. As Hinuk was outlining here um, what was going on, what's the, what is the meaning of, uh, or the lesson to be learned from the Shemitah, what, do we, what does it teach us? So we learned yesterday from Hinuk that he was bringing down that first and foremost, it teaches us that God is God, that God is the creator of the universe, that we are not masters of everything, that we need God, that we depend upon him. It says here, the matter of creation will thus never depart from your eyes and will remain a steadfast part of your consciousness. We mentioned that yesterday. This is in the same fashion in which we spend the days of the week, (coughs) pardon me, has six days of work and one day of rest. It has the same benefit when we <clears throat> recognize that six days we can work and there's a day of rest that burns into our psyche the reality that that everything comes from God, that He is the Creator. That's the whole purpose of the Shabbat. So it says, therefore, God, blessed is he, commanded that we relinquish ownership of all the produce that the land brings forth in the Shemitah year, aside from the command to rest from working during uh, working the land during the Shemitah. The purpose of this is so that by fulfilling these mitzvahs, man will remember that the land that brings forth produce for him year after year is not bringing it forth by virtue of his own strength and and constitution. For in truth, there is a master over it and over the man who is its owner. And when the master so desires, he commands the landowner to relinquish ownership over the produce. So in addition uh, to teaching that God is a creator, this is also teaching us that we're not God, which seems crazy that we need to be reminded of that, but many people need to be reminded of this. 
that we're not God. It says, hence, by relinquishing control of the land during Shemitah, we demonstrate in two ways our belief in God as the creator and master of the universe. By virtue of the count which indicates that, the, that at the time of creation, Adonai rested on the seventh day, and two, by virtue of counting ourselves in a manner that shows that we are not the masters of the land. <clears throat> so again, when we realize, when we, when we say to ourselves that the first day of the week is the first day of the week, and the second day of the week is the second day of the week, etc., and we, we conclude our time with a rest on the seventh day, we are affirming the story of Genesis. And I, I know at the risk of being redundant, this is why it is so important to observe the Shabbat and not to make the Shabbat some other day of the week. It is not true. It is a fallacy of thought. As some have said in, in years past, that you can make any day a Sabbath. Your Tuesday can be a Sabbath. Your Wednesday can be a Sabbath. Your Sunday can be a Sabbath. That is not true. It is true from the standpoint, if you are your own God and you are want to declare uh, your own day, right, versus what God said, that would be true if you are your own deity. However, if you are a worshiper of God and you recognize him as the sole creator of the universe, you're not allowed to make up your own Shabbat. And when you do, you naturally get out of sync with his time schedule. We'll come back to, the, to that in a second. But it says, uh, Hinuk brings down, there's another benefit to be found in the matter of relinquishing the owner of the Shemitah year, which is to thereby acquire the, the trait of yielding. That is, a generous willingness to forgo that which we see as our due. Everything I'm saying here could be tied right back again to giving, to being charitable, to being people who are faithful with the tithe. Uh, giving the tithe uh, has all the benefits that we've mentioned thus far, and it has the benefit of engendering in us a, a, a propensity to be people who yield to have a yielded heart, a yielded spirit, people who are humble, who are teachable. Do you realize that that being generous or, or you know, following the laws of the Shemitah, following the laws of the tithe, teaches you to be teachable? It, it gives you a yielding spirit. You know, the a lot of the uh, um, various commentators have suggested and rabbis have suggested that we should have um, sadaka boxes everywhere in the house, in your room, in the living room, in the kitchen. Uh, the children should have a sadaka box in their room. Not a piggy bank, a sadaka box. What's the difference? Well, let's call it a uh, a lamb bank because pigs aren't kosher. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you have a ch if a child has a a lamb bank in their room, that means that they're putting coins in there for their own uh, use, right? They're saving the money for themselves. Sadaka box means they're putting the money in there, they're going to give it to somebody else. They're going to donate it to somebody else, not to them, to somebody else. And so many have said we should have sadaka boxes throughout the house. Why? To remind us, to teach us, to engender us, to be generous people, that we come in, we have spare change in our pockets, and we say the, the blessing, 
you know, bless you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to give staka and put the coins in the box. And teaching us, that's engendering us a spirit of generosity. And as it's saying here, that we are willingly to willing to forgo that which we consider our due. This is this is owed us. Which, by the way, is a in and of itself, a negative personality trait. God doesn't owe us anything. <clears throat> right? That's why we say Dayenu at the uh, Pesach Seder. It would have been enough. What else? What does he owe us? It would have been enough. Saving us, bringing us into this uh, lifestyle, giving us this uh, wonderful insight would have been in and of itself enough. But God always goes above and beyond. That's his nature. And that's what is just so wonderful. But nevertheless, we cannot, we have to guard against an attitude that says, God owes me something. Nobody owes us anything. We don't even, we don't even uh, deserve to be here. <clears throat> so it says, uh, da, da, da. Performing this mitzvah is an exercise of this trait, for there is none so generous as one who gives without the anticipation of compensation. Now, this takes us back to another principle of giving. That on the one hand, we know that when we give, God is going to get back, as I said just a moment ago, at least four times. And yet at the same time, that cannot, that cannot be our motive for being generous. That cannot be our motive for, in this case, talking about the Shemitah year, it cannot be our motive for the case of tithing and so on. We have to give because it's a mitzvah, but not because we're going to receive a reward. This really should, should be the attitude we have. For all the mitzvot, that we're not conscious, we're not in our mind thinking about what we're going to get out of it, which is a very difficult thing to do because we're humans. But the reality is we have to strive to perform the mitzvah without, as it says here, any anticipation of compensation. This is why it talks about in the Siddur that that we should, uh, and, and other sources like the Pirkei um, Avot, that we should study the Torah and, and thereby follow the Torah for the Torah's sake. For the Torah's sake. This is why when people say, excuse me, when people say silly things that aren't true, such as Jews, we work for our salvation, that's ridiculous because from the Jewish point of view, we are obeying the Torah because it's Torah. We're obeying the Torah because it's God. We're not thinking about compensation. Okay, we're not thinking about these kinds of things. Now, it gets confusing because there's, there is a concept of, of reward and punishment. Absolutely. Absolutely there's a concept of reward and punishment. That's all throughout the Bible. But we also know about the grace of God. But anyway, it says here, And one who generously yields the produce and Shemitah, as per this mitzvah, does so without anticipating any worldly compensation. We're doing it, why? Because it's God. 
So Hinu continues a third underlying purpose of the mitzvah. This is number three now. He says, there is yet another benefit to be found in such a person who observes his mitzvah. The benefit is that the person will increase trust in Adonai, blessed be he. Again, this is so wonderful. It takes us back, yet again, to the concept of giving. We have to trust God. And many people say we trust God, but but do we? Many people don't tithe. The vast majority of people do not tithe. You know why? Because they don't trust God. Because they're, they somehow don't realize that he's the one that gave them the money to begin with. That's really the bottom line. It really boils down to that. Not tithing is a lack of trust. It, it, it is. It's a lack of trust. And people say, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, and this is going to hurt. But, you know, people say, <clears throat> um, you know, I can't afford to tithe or whatever. And I promise you, listen, I've been there. I've done it. I know. I know. I, I'm speaking from experience here, personal experience. The person who says, I can't afford to tithe, um, you know, I, all you have to do is do an honest evaluation of your spending, and suddenly you find that the reason you can't tithe is because you have the premium uh, uh, direct TV package, you have the premium uh, cell phone package, you have the premium this, the premium that. It's, it's trust. It's, it's true. It's true. You know it's true. And so it really comes down to trust, right? It's ultimately what it comes down to. So by keeping this mitzvah, we, you know, are trusting God. You say, but I have to have the smartphone. No, you don't. We really don't, right? We can do the jitterbug phone just fine. I'm not saying, listen, if you can afford it, buy it. Great. I have, the, have the iPhone 27. It's great. It's fantastic. With the uh, 3,000 uh, gigabyte hard drive. It's wonderful. I, I have no problem with it whatsoever. But you don't need it, Right? You don't need it. I mean, you can have it. It's great. We live in the United States. It's not about need. I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying. You're intelligent people. So it says here, For anyone who can find in his heart the capacity to give and relinquish to the world all the produce of his land and his ancestral inheritance that grows throughout the entire year, and he and his family are accustomed to doing so all of his days, the trait of miserliness will never take hold in such a person nor will he ever be seized by lack of trust. Rather, he will, be, he will willingly give his possessions to others and trust in Adonai to provide his needs. Trust in Adonai to provide his needs. By the way, you know the people that have the... Um, there, there's folks that have um, you know, the hoarding issue, Right? Uh, and there's different types of, there's people who hoard like every single thing and they have a garage full of stuff. And then there's other people who just, uh, you know, do it on a lesser level. But but that that's, uh, psychologists have said, that's a, really a, a fear of lack. There's some, somebody has experienced something in their life and now they have a fear of lack. It goes back to trust as well. So these, those are the underlying reasons for the mitzvah. Those are the underlying benefits for when we, 
observe uh, the mitzvot, I want to try to share something right quickly from... Uh... Ah, here we go. Thank God, this is what I was looking for. From Rabbi Monk. It says uh, in verse 13 of chapter 25. What is it? Oh, it says, In this jubilee year, each of you shall return to his ancestral uh, heritage. So it says, <clears throat> compare this with Numbers 8.25 in reference to the Levites. And so it's saying here, from the age of 50 years, they shall return from service and shall serve no more. In both instances, the 50th year serves as a year of rest. The Jew always counts with an eye to the future. It is so for the Sabbath the Shemitah year, and the Jubilee. Now, I want you to think about this, as it's going to mention, in terms of the weekly Shabbat. We count up to the Sabbath. The Shabbat being the seventh day. We have an eye to the future. The Shabbat, the seven, perfection, represents the world to come. For those people who have made their holy day the first day of the week, I would say it was a Sabbath. It used to be a Sabbath back maybe in the 1950s, but it really hasn't been a Sabbath since then. But nevertheless, it's a holy day. It's a day of worship. The problem with that is it's the first day of the week. So instead of looking to the future, you're kind of stuck in in the Olam Hazay. You're stuck in this world. Whereas to the Jew who has the seventh day, the day of perfection, the day of the world to come. That's what we're counting up to. That's where we're progressing to. And that's what it's saying here. We have an eye towards the future. So too in his own life, after 50, he should reduce his workload and prepare for the life to come. The Jew looks upward towards his goal in the future. That is, Kedusha, holiness. Sabbath is at the end of the week. Okay? So this, that's, this is why we work all week long, we prepare all week long, and then we enter the Holy Sabbath. This is a microcosm of our life. Therefore, when we keep the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, we, it, is a, it is a dress rehearsal week after week for the Olam Haba, for the world to come. However, it's, Rabbi Monk says here, others whose holy day is the beginning of the week can look ahead only to the profane, meaning the mundane. When your holy day is the first day of the week, you're not looking at the Alam Haba, you're looking at the Alam Hazay. You see how insidious it is that, that because uh, of, of the lie of the enemy, he has kept people bound to this world. It's, it's, it's the great irony of people who are looking to the Mashiach and... Their whole focus is on eternal life, and yet their their theological practice keeps them in this world. It's it is what it is. But we just mentioned the fifty. I want to go to Pituche uh, Chotam. Sorry, got tongue tied there for a second because he brings out a very fascinating insight and a very encouraging insight talking about repenting at fifty. So this is to uh, chapter 25 and verse 10. You shall sanctify the 50th year and proclaim freedom throughout the land for all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee year for you. You shall return each man to his ancestral heritage and you shall return each man to his family. So 
This is Pituke Chotam bringing down now a very uh, kind of deep insight to this. So it says, if a person has delayed and not repented during his prime, now the prime is 30s and 40s. Sorry, 20-year-olds. <laughs> what a blessing to be 20 years old, but the prime is 30s and 40s. It says, if he has not repented in his 30s and 40s, he must motivate himself and gather all his strength to repent. Especially since he has waited this long, he should not delay any further. Additionally, the 50th year is an auspicious time for repenting as it alludes to the 50 gates of wisdom. This comes from Dikune Zohar 76b which contain the highest level of repentance. This is also a, a thought from the Zohar. It says, furthermore, the Mishnah says, 50 years old for counsel, uh, from Pirkei Avot 523 in the Mishnah. It says, in other words, when a person is 50, he should accept good counsel, which is to fully and sincerely repent of his, of his ways. It says, when a person repents during his 50th year, he merits that all his sparks of holiness, that the forces of impurity have taken away from him, shall be returned to their proper place. So if you're listening to me and you're, you know, 49 going on 50 or you're 50 or whatever or thereabouts, you should just know that this is a auspicious time to become a Balchuva, to become someone who is returning to the actual faith of the Messiah, that when you repent, there is, uh, as it's being said here, all of the sparks of holiness that were seemingly lost return. So, someone might be saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 50 or thereabouts, and I, man, I, I should have uh, done this when I was 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever. And what's being said here is, you know what? It's not too late. It's not too late, in fact, that this is a, a jubilee for you. So it says, Likewise, if his nefesh, ruach, and neshama, that is, all three levels of the soul, had become caught within the forces of impurity, they will be removed from them and returned to him. Just wanted to share that insight because I just felt like it was so encouraging for people that are a little bit later in life and... and and maybe uh, discouraged um, from, uh, you know, pursuing. Another insight from Pituke Hotem. This is to verse uh, chapter 25, verses 2 through 6, where it says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come to the land that I give you, and the land that shall, the land shall observe a Shabbat for Adonai, for six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard, and you may gather in its crops. But the seventh year shall be a complete rest of the land, a Shabbat for Adonai, your field you shall not sow, and your vineyard you shall not prune. The Shabbat produce of the land shall be yours to eat for you and for your slave and for your maidservant, for your laborer, for your resident who dwells among you. So Pituke Hotem, it says here, As we know, Adonai created the world that it should last for 6,000 years, and the seventh millennia, will be sanctified for Adonai. The Sanhedrin 97a says this. So the, the, the final thousand years is the Shabbat that we're working up to. You see, we have 6,000 years corresponding to the six days, working up to the seventh thousand year, which is the seventh day Shabbat. 
It says, uh, which is described in the verse, Adonai alone will be exalted on that day from, uh, from Jeremiah 2.11. This will be a time of joy for Adonai and the Jewish people because the forces of impurity will be nullified. As the verse says, he, Adonai, will eliminate death forever. This is, again, Jeremiah 25.8. Furthermore, the Jewish people will no longer need to plow or sow or work the land at all, as whatever a person wants will be readily available. Praise God. It will be clear to all the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves Adonai and one who does not, from Malachi 3.18, as each person will receive his true reward. Perhaps it says, this is what our sages intended to say, one who toils on the eve of Shabbat will eat on Shabbat, Avodah Zarah 3a. The 6,000 year period is considered the eve of the Sabbath, while the 7th millennia is considered as being entirely a Shabbat. Therefore, a person must be concerned about this during his lifetime, that whatever effort he can make toward repairing himself, or excuse me, preparing himself for holiness and acquiring it, he must do so that he will be counted among those who are inscribed for life in Yerushalayim, from Yeshua 4.3, from Jeremiah 4.3. For in the seventh millennia, there will be no work to be done. It will be a time only for receiving reward. So just like during the week, we prepare for the Sabbath. We call the sixth day of the week preparation day. But in reality, we're preparing all week for God's holy Sabbath. And if we don't prepare then we won't have anything to eat on the Shabbat because the Shabbat is a day of no work, not allowed to cook and so on, right? Not allowed to do things. It's a time of rest, saying here that in the Alam Haba, we're not going to be working, we're going to be resting. So just a couple more insights here in the, in the, in the minute or two we have left. It says, <clears throat> speak to the children of Israel and say to them, and so it says, the re- to this verse, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the repetition of speaking and saying implies that the Jewish people should be repeatedly encouraged and warned to serve Adonai properly with great care and alacrity during the 6,000 years so they will receive their full reward in the seventh millennia. The 6,000 years are comparable to the six days of the week, whereas the seventh millennia is compared to the Shabbat. It is obvious that if a person toils during the week and prepares for the Holy Sabbath, he will, have to, he will have to eat on the Shabbat, and others will not. This reminded me of the ten virgins, five who were wise and five who were foolish. What, what was the difference between the two sets? One, the difference was that the one of the sets had oil, and the others did not. Well, what's the oil? It says that the foolish ones went to the market to buy, but the market was closed. It did not say how the the wise ones had achieved their oil. But in order to get oil, olive oil for lamps, you have to crush, you have to crush the olive. In other words, producing oil necessary to kindle your lamp requires effort. Requires effort. This is why we say, you should listen to the Aliyah day every day. You should study. You should read. You should pray. Zakin Yosef said, he reminded everyone on, on, on the Sabbath that, that it now is the time to start studying about Shavuot. Don't wait until the day of Shavuot. Study Shavuot now. Toil. And, and toiling is like preparing for the Sabbath. That's what it means to toil. 
He mentions that the Shekinah is referred to as a field, and the vineyard alludes to Adonai as the word Kerim, vineyard, has the numerical value of 260, which is the same as Adonai's name times 10. We're going to talk about that uh, tomorrow. We're going to get into the field and the vineyard and how it relates to us spiritually. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve that for tomorrow because there's some other things I want to mention about that. Until then, may you have a blessed time. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, make your day a happy day. Be happy. Show somebody kindness. Show, show somebody love. And uh, remember to always sanctify the name of Hashem. If you're new to us, thank you for joining us. It's been a, a joy to have you here. And uh, with God's help, we'll see everybody tomorrow for the fourth Aliyah. Shalom, blessings, and have a great and safe day.